Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Hello again and welcome, my friends, uh, to another podcast episode. I am your host, David Woods, and I'm joined once again by Pastor John Hallowell. Uh, we are discussing uh, end times, and we are looking at what Jesus says in particular about the end times, about his return, about what the disciples need to be prepared for. We've been working out of Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 5 to 36, and we're going to sort of recap a little bit and then continue to move on from where we bookmarked our discussion last time. Uh, so Jesus is in the temple. The disciples have been uh, sort of enamored or distracted by the temple and the structure and all the ornate designs, the beauty of the temple. And Jesus takes this as an important moment to say to them uh, that they must not be misled about the things that will happen. And he says that this temple that they're so impressed with um, is going to be toppled. It's going to come down. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And so he sets out in Luke 21 uh, this framework uh, for their understanding, but also for our understanding about what we can expect, what we need to be careful of, what we need to be warned about, and what we need to be up to uh, between these times that he's talking about, between the moment he's addressing them and then ultimately his return, which he addresses uh, at the end of this passage. So, John, if you want to just kind of remind us of the structure of kind of where we're at in this moment um, and uh, sort of march through sort of this framework he's giving us that we can kind of be able to hold on to and have some clarity about when we come to these issues that people can get so worked up, so distracted about. What is this framework, again, that Jesus is trying to lay out for his disciples to see? Okay, I can try. Um, what Jesus is trying to accomplish and teach his disciples and anyone else who is listening or will listen uh, is that there is a flow of history that results in the abandoning of the temple, the magnificent second temple, uh, which Herod's building project had taken on to double the size mm. and improve the features of, uh, that God was abandoning that, uh, abandoning it for the reasons that preceded Luke 21, uh, abandoning it because it had rejected uh, the, the teaching, the true teaching of God, and the true importance of the Messiah. Uh, you know, the implication of the context is that the leaders of Israel would do away with the Messiah to keep the institution of the temple going and representing God, and God's vengeance would come upon that thought, would, would dissolve this temple because it's the Messiah who God is uh, interested in and is friends of the Messiah who will survive, not friends of the temple. Hmm. And, and so this, this uh, framework then is designed to create a gap between the destruction of the temple and the end of time. There, there was no, they were not the same that time would not end when the temple ended. And that he did in, in verse 9, he said uh, that the end won't follow immediately. 
And then he goes through three, let's just call them events, that are representative of, of periods of time, although, this, although the destruction of the temple was a sh very short period of time. But verse 12 to 19, uh, there is a period of persecution. The uh, disciples will be uh, dragged around the world into synagogues and before governments, and they will be persecuted. Horrible things will happen to them. They have to be loyal to Jesus. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus said that to follow him, you've got to uh, love by comparison more Jesus than, uh, than uh, family even. Hmm. And, and it's because there would be uh, family members who were loyal to the first covenant who would dismiss Jesus as being radically, fanatically wrong and not to be listened to. Uh, and so when, when persecution went out and the demand uh, to scourge the earth of Jesus' followers went out, families would betray each other. Hmm. Those who were not loyal to Jesus would see uh, the need to turn over even their loved ones hmm. uh, as believers or followers of Christ. And so the, the period of persecution from, from 12 to 19 in the text is, is uh, a horrific period of time, 40 years. So uh, this is before the temple is destroyed. This is a per period of persecution that's going to follow uh, Jesus' uh, ascension, uh, the disciples going forth. This is the period of time covered by the book of Acts. Yes, okay. exactly. And the, and the persecutions in the book of Acts, the, the beatings and the imprisonment and the uh, calling before governors, uh, the, the having to explain following Jesus before people that were total Gentiles, uh, uh, areas of the world that there wasn't even a synagogue presence at time, no knowledge of God whatsoever. Uh, and, and so the believers would be drawn, the followers of Jesus would be uh, pushed around and and for 40 years mm. that way. And, uh, and his instructions in that, in that passage, in that section, were to not worry about uh, how you would, you would answer the charges against you, that God would be, be giving the right words, and that it would be, they would be wise words, but the goal would be, uh, in verse 13, it would be an opportunity to tell them about me. Mm. So when you're persecuted in that period of time, you tell the persecutors about Jesus. So it's about witness. It's about yes. still spreading the gospel. It's not yeah. about self-preservation or fighting back or something like yeah. this. So you have Paul before uh, Felix and Festus and you know, basically testifying to him, telling him about Jesus, and they almost believe in Jesus. And they're like, whoa, I didn't think this was going to happen. Right, so right. you almost convinced me, Paul. And and, and likewise, in every environment the disciples were in, uh, they, were, they merely uh, could view it as an opportunity to tell the persecutors about Jesus, mm. to tell them about him, why they follow him and who he is. Mm. And so clearly uh, a, 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 an action plan, if yeah. you will, for that period of time. And then in verses 20 through 24, uh, you've got the, uh, the, the terrible uh, circling of Jerusalem by Titus and the Roman army and the destruction. And, uh, and, and in verse 24, you've got the transition uh, and the declaration that, that um, Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. So you have there yeah. an entire period of time from 70 AD, even up through today, 
uh, you have a period that he describes as uh, the, the Gentiles, the period of the, the Gentiles. Okay, so 12 to 19, this is um, from 30-whatever to 70, yes. more or less. Okay, the persecution before the temple is destroyed. 20 to 24, 2023 um, is the destruction of the temple. Armies surrounded it, Romans. It's all historical. We know how this ended up playing out. People ran for the city instead of out of it, except for the disciples who, who held on to Jesus' words. They were able to flee to, to Pella, I believe. Um, Eusebius yes. records. Um, and, then, and then after the temple is destroyed, what you're saying is verse 24 pivots from that moment and can, talks about a continued time, a time of the Gentiles, in which sort of Jerusalem is trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. So it sort of initiates, but also is this extended period of time after 70 AD. Yes. And it's a time that is, I mean, it's a time of trampling. It's a time of yes. persecution. It's another time of persecution, but not the 40-year or whatever scope on the previous side of the temple's destruction. Now it's extending out into history however long. And it's been thousands of years okay. now. <laughs> okay. How, now ever long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is the ongoing period of the Gentiles, referred to in a couple other passages. But but this time is then seen by Jesus, said to by Jesus, as another time of persecution, and a persecution that will what intensify, be about the same. Well, you'll notice he's limited, and again, I would contend that the domain of meaning for the disciples is, I mean, they can't fathom the age of the Gentiles. Sure. Uh, I mean, they're going to have to be worked on a little bit to right. uh, they the animals off the sheep. You know? It's like, not that place <laughs> yet. But he does tell them that the fears of the people will be intense, the, the perplexed uh, nature of people terrified. Uh, what they see coming upon the earth. Mm. Okay, so so before it was um, uh, uh, things that were difficult in Jerusalem. Now this is worldwide. Right, that okay. there'll be there'll be signs of terror. He's not telling them to be terrified. The same instructions apply to them. They're not don't to panic. panic. Right, They're panic. not to be misled. Don't be misled. And we know from uh, the explanations in the book of Revelation that there is a, an intense period of persecution also that precedes the end of the Gentile age. Mm. And uh, so, so verse 25 through 28, or actually through 27, uh, is the entire Gentile period ending with the second coming of Christ uh, with power and great glory. And that's why you're saying it's ongoing, because this age of the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles, is only concluded by the physical, visible return of Christ. Yes, and, and verse 27 has not happened yet. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, we could be right up to there. It could be on the last word. So it says, word then everyone <laughs> will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power. Yes. So there's no secret rapture. There's no, uh, only his followers knew and... It says, everyone will see. Everyone means everyone. Yeah. Everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. That is the, the end. Yeah. And the end of the time of the Gentiles, in particular, that, in the context at least. Yes, and, and, and uh, everyone will see. That's, that's correct. So it has a, a blunt end, a direct end, a universal end to a universal, when I say universal, I mean encompassing the whole earth. Right, out from Jerusalem now it's encompassing the whole earth, and it's concluded for the sake of the whole earth, visible and seen by everyone on the earth um, with the return of Christ. Yeah. Okay. 
So, so now he wants to answer some questions. <laughs> uh, in verse 29. Not surprising. And in verse 29, yeah. uh, first of all, he's going to, okay, so if you have, you have disciples saying, what's going to be the end of time and the sign that right. it's going to happen? Right, when will this happen? What will be the sign of, of uh, the end? Okay, yeah. so he's gone back in reverse order and he said, the signs that the temple will be destroyed will be the armies around. Pretty obvious sign. And, <laughs> now, and now the signs of, of, the, of the greater. Uh, end of the Gentile age he's going to talk about, and he's simply going to say uh, that he uses this uh, example of the fig tree and, uh, and, and, and simply says that what you can know about the sign that the end is coming is doesn't, you don't need to be told that. You just know it in the same way when you see leaves coming uh, on a fig tree that's, that summer's near. So... Um, so you're going to know that, that when you see terrible things happening and fear and panic around you, that the kingdom of God is near. Hmm. And that's all you're going to know. You're not going to know the day or the hour. Right. You're not going to know that. Don't be misled if someone says, this is the moment. Yeah. It's so, about to happen, or this and, is the date. And your role is not to know. Right. <laughs> you know, you don't need to know. And he says, you, you know without being told that summer is near. And that's, that's all you're ever going to get is the kingdom of God is near. Uh, you're not going to get this is it, uh, you know, it's going to be this year, next year, whatever. So he, he backs uh, that up. And then in verse 32, I believe he gives the answer to, uh, to the first question of when will this be? And his answer is soon. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Right, really controversial uh, verse, right, as far as interpretation? It is, but it might be a literal answer to their okay. question. What do you mean? Uh, well, he's not going to tell them the exact moment, but what he's telling them here is you're gonna, you, many of you are still going to be alive when it happens. You can't fathom this. Right. There's so much activity in this temple right now that it's, it's, a, it's a vibrant and alive. Right. Uh, you can't imagine a period of persecution followed by the destruction of the temple, but many of you are still going to be alive when it happens. Right. He says some of you will be killed during that first part of persecution before the destruction of the temple, betrayed by your own family members. Yes. Um, you know, James is beheaded, any number of, of the church in Jerusalem uh, end up getting dragged out for different things, um, but but the implication here is, but some of you won't be killed during that time. You'll see this. You'll know to run. You'll remember my words, and then you'll also by default you'll see the beginning of this time of the Gentile. You'll you'll see how this goes beyond Jerusalem, opens up to the whole world. That all that could happen within the lifetime of the people he's addressing. Yes, and I'd add one other thing okay. to it. Enlarge the domain just a little bit, okay. because this this phrase about this generation has uh, always been pejorative. Uh, you know, Jesus said faithless this, generation. this generation always right. seeks a sign. Right. Okay. And what Jesus is saying is this judgment is going to come on this generation, these people that rejected me. Hmm. This is going to happen in their lifetime, too. Uh, so, so expand it just a little bit. So verse 32, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. And you're saying this generation is, is in some sense a, a term he uses several times. Yes. And it indicates um, rebellion yeah. against him, the people who are set against him. Seeking a sign, trusting generation. in the temple. Yes, right. okay. yes. Yeah, so, 
uh, is not going to pass away until all these things have taken place. This temple is going to be destroyed, and it was within 40 years. And, and they couldn't have imagined it at that right. point. They were so strong and so wealthy and so vibrant and had, had so much ardent following and, and seemingly had the cooperation of the Romans even. Right, the, the synergy building. between Herod and even Pilate. The, yes. the back and forth of the trial shows how, how much in concert they are, at least on some basic level. Yeah. So in, in, inconceivable to them at the moment, but... All these things are very much going to literally take place yes. within this this next forty years, and and that's what they're primarily concerned with. He is mentioning including the age of the Gentiles and the end of time, but that's just like way far off to yeah, them in yeah. another world and another land right. to them. So verse thirty two completes then uh, for for them the answer to their question of what will be the sign, and uh, and and when will the end happen. And so uh, he's, he's told the sign of the end of the Gentile age, and uh, now he's, and he's basically told when it's going to happen, when the Son of Man appears. And now he wants to uh, add for them their, their instructions, our instructions, uh, right. the okay. action so this, plan. This is the, the domain that would extend to disciples listening, holding on to Jesus' words, um, all the way up to his return. How then shall we live during that, especially a time of intensifying chaos, wars, rumors of wars, insurrections, famines, earthquakes, all sorts of things? Yes. Right. Okay. So, so the disciples were told during the era, era of persecution mm-hmm. to don't worry about what you're going to say, but to, to take every opportunity to tell, uh, tell the, the governors and the persecutors about me. So in verse 33 now, there's a different set of instructions for the, for the Gentile believers uh, down through time to, to get up to the end. And it starts out, I think, in verse 33 by pointing to the fact that his word will not disappear. The temple's going. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be gone. Mm. All these horrible things are going to happen before this generation passes away. But uh, uh, his words are not going to disappear. So we have his word. Mm-hmm. But then quickly, watch out, right? Because even though you have his yeah. word, uh, you may not be uh, <laughs> you may not be getting out of the word what you need to get out of the word. So don't don't be complacent because you have his word. Don't think, oh, we're we're okay. We have his word off in the corner. We have a Bible. <laughs> well, not just don't be complacent. I would add to that verse yeah. thirty six. Keep alert. Right. So 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 what is it that What's what's the dangerous? We got his Bible. The Bible's inerrant. We mm. got it. It's mm. part of. We believe in it. You mm. know, and I'm and I'm saying that tongue in cheek as a doctrine. Right. You know, um, but but the key in verse thirty four is that it's your heart's condition. Now this now this goes back to uh, Jesus talking about the Word of God. How does the Word of God work? Well, the Word of God works in a good heart. You if you have a good heart, you get the Word, you understand it, you keep it. It bears fruit, and then you live it out. Mm. And, and you know, one of Luke's emphasis uh, is the idea that that you believe in Jesus, but you listen to His words and you do what He says. And when you do what He says, then you are you are obedient to Him and you are pleasing Him. But mm. not until you do what He says. Mm. Now, you know, we have this understanding that that Luke wrote the Book of Acts, and the Book of Acts is our magnum opus on the Holy Spirit, the work mm. of the Spirit. But Luke's gospel is also a part of that work. Right. It's, it's the first part of that work. And 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work that's aside from the delusions of our Christianity. Hmm. Okay, so, so if we live in an age of all these delusions going around, all of these uh, conspiracies, we have to make sure that our Christianity is not just a conspiracy on steroids. Hmm. And I've learned in following the Lord that a lot of contemporary teaching is conspiracy-based, I was around when the Illuminati were supposedly very real. Mm. Uh, I've seen these conspiracy theories take hold and have persistence with unbelievable ferocity. Mm. Now, other parts of the world, our politics, our historians, our cultures, they're getting conspiracy theories that they're believing and they're hanging on to them and we're amazed, we're Mm. shocked, we're frightened about that. Mm. But we've gotta make sure our own walk with Christ, our own understanding of the scriptures is not just a compounded conspiracy because we're skilled at conspiracy. Mm. And the only way we do it is what's right here, that our hearts cannot be dulled by the cruising and drunkenness or the worries of this life. Mm. Okay, that's that's the parable of the soils. Right, right. That's like you let the word, which is, uh, which is not gonna disappear, which is gonna be here till the second coming, you let the word deep into your heart you let it, uh, you think about it, you, you believe on it, you let it do its work, you let it come to fruition, and let it produce good fruit in your life a hundredfold. Mm. Okay, so what's the good fruit in your life? It's good deeds. It's good things that you do. They need to be inspired by the Word of God. They need to be informed by the teachings of Jesus. They need to be obeyed in the spirit of following Christ. But when you do them, uh, you actually have something tangible in this life that you're leaving behind, that you're, that you're bringing to this, this earth that's moving in this chaotic fashion with terror all around. So, so we have to be the believers and the doers of good. Mm. And the only way you're going to do that is to be alert uh, to, to the uh, passing of time day by day. Uh, you've got to be hearing the word, believing the word, living the word. You've got to be growing in your walk with Christ. You've got to be uh, having fruit of God in your life. You can't just go, well, the end is coming, so uh, I'm going to be just blasé or I'm going to be ambivalent because I'm on the good team. I'm on the right team. I'm Mm. on the winner's side. Mm. And so I just need to stay on the winner's side and I'm okay. Jesus is saying, "Don't, don't let your hearts be dulled. Keep alert. So the keep alert here is not looking up at the sky to see the signs of his coming. The keeping alert here uh, is, is, you know, you go back to verse 28, when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up. Hmm. So, so the picture here is that the, that the Lord is coming again, and you've been nose to the grindstone, you know, hand to the plow, le, uh, plowing the, the fallow ground of your heart for the kingdom of God, growing, keeping focused away from the terror and the panic around you. You've been hard at, at work. You've been alert. Uh, you've been doing the things that, that uh, keep your heart uh, you know, soft and pliable toward God and keep growing on that foundation. But then when, you, when the ark of the, 
the, the uh, trumpet of the um, angel sounds and mm-hmm. the Lord's coming again, you look up and you stand with your hands up because this is your Lord coming. Right. You've been serving him You've and been... now he's coming. Now, now you, it's not nose to the ground and hand to the plow. It's look up till heaven, hands in the air because mm-hmm. he's coming. He's coming for you. Right. <laughs> You're not afraid of that. Right. You, you've been living with that expectation, but also been obedient so that you're ready to see him. There's been a preparation because you've been in and under the word. Um, it says that, like it says at the end of 36, right? Um, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. The, the contrast with those who will be fleeing yes. from the presence of the Son of Man who will, will realize that they had been taking life not seriously, taking the words of Jesus not seriously, and then won't have that place to stand or won't have that, that strength or that faith to stand in that moment. Yes. And so God's purposes are that there'll be a witness to him through all the chaos and the terror that's coming to the earth. There'll be people there saying, you, you have to live by the word of God. You have to hear it regularly. You have to believe. You have to let it deliver you from the disobedience of the fallenness of your own heart. You have to experience the... the, the, uh, the the process of, of hearing the word and bearing fruit from the word in your life and growing into your salvation. You have to experience maturing in this life, and, and others will see that, and that will be a witness to the fact that God is still, uh, still with open arms, is still able to save to the uttermost. You'll be teaching and preaching the Lordship of Jesus, the Messiah, all the way up to the end through the most horrible of times. So from God's purposes, he's got a witness there. And from your own purposes, you're growing, you're alert, you're not being caught unaware, and you're alive. You're, you're full of life, even in, in terrible times. Right, so, you're, not, you're not anxious, you're not panicking because you're not being misled. You're in, in the midst of a time in which maybe your neighbors or people who are um, overly bound up with circumstances that are going on, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have uh, a family, you can you can be up to the things of life and enjoying and appreciating that abundance of life in the midst of maybe, I mean, people just being completely swept away with one thing or the other or panicking from every four years to the next four years or or from every, you know, war, rumor of war, yes. all the things, right? Yeah, you're not going to be misled. And so what you're, what you're sticking to is this process whereby we follow Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He's, he's a way of life, hearing his word and believing it. Uh, he reveals the truth to us, and, and then he gives us life, uh, that zoe, that abundant life under any circumstances. And, and so for, for the individual, then, we don't need the clarion call to overturn culture, to transform our politics, to mm. stop practices that the, the pagans are inventing, uh, to, to, uh, to worry so much about controlling all of history. Uh, we can be free from that. That's, that's misleading us. To, to draw us off into those agendas is misleading. And, and so we can be free to follow Jesus, and we will influence the culture around us uh, in a proper way. So again, I would say this is a framework. This mm-hmm. is a base. Mm-hmm. When you build on top of this, you, you build your cultural practices, your cultural habits, 
Uh, and then on top of that, your, your political understandings and, and activities, and, and you build things on top of that. But this is the framework by which you understand life and the time around you. You, you don't want to add to this. You don't want to put in here, uh, you know, a certain, you don't want to put in here things that will cause you to, to die on a hill that you don't want to die on. Mm, mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it's kind of an exciting uh, mini apocalypse. It's, it's all you need to know, but it's profoundly deep. It, it's the scope of history and time in broad strokes brushed back and forth by Jesus who, mm-hmm. who is going to have a following right up to his second coming, and he's kind of instructing all of us how to be his followers and, uh, and, and how to not be misled and, and not panic and, uh, and, and to really stand firm uh, in believing in him. And could you say, so if it is a foundation and it, it, it lets us build cultural practices, even political viewpoints or involvement on that, then the implication there is that those things are consistent with the warnings, consistent with the um, admonitions. In other words, that, that whatever else we may do with cultural practices or, or our politics, they can't be motivated from panic. They can't be motivated from the things that Jesus warns us not to be engaged with or experiencing at that level. They can't be motivated or organized around those kinds of fears or those kinds of declarations or those kinds of... In other words, if you're going to build on that, there has to be some consistency, right, with what Jesus is saying you need to be up to during this time, which is the ordinary uh, path of discipleship, the ordinary following of Jesus, um, but also just being, uh, as he says, uh, being a witness to those during times of persecution, being a witness in, in the, to those who are the opposite of whatever you think politics or cultural practices or morality should be, right? Like that, the whole point of our presence here during that time before the end is to show them Jesus, is to tell them about Jesus, and that that might not be uh, something that would ever be accomplished through political power or legislation or any number of things that seem to have so much um, stabilizing sort yes. of allure, right? Yeah, and that allure, uh, I mean, you've described the ideology very well, and when you say the allure, there's the, there's the practical pull of this. The people that ran the temple institution at the end of the, new, uh, the, end of the Old Covenant period, uh, they made a mistake the mistake they made was missing that Jesus was to be listened to and followed and observed and, uh, and viewed as Messiah beyond the temple system that they served. They were serving the temple system, and the temple system worked up until they took Jesus out. Mm. I mean, he was teaching in the temple. Uh, crowds were learning. We learned from his teachings in the temple. Uh, his word is, was there, and it was having a positive effect on the temple system. But when they excluded him, when they sent him packing, that's when the temple system became corrupt and unusable and abandoned by God. So, so for us, we, we have to understand we're called to be in community. We're called to, to live out our faith in a community of faith. And the same warnings apply to the community of faith. We can institutionalize it and say mm. we've got this big institution here that, that informs the faith and helps the faith, but there needs to be a monitor uh, on its belief in Jesus mm. because 
the same thing can happen to any institution we have, even that, that we say is Christian. We can solidify that by that allure you talked about, uh, you know, by saying certain things and believing certain things and going along with certain trends and crowds. And I think it's delusionary. I don't, I don't call it that. It, it masks as reasoned and soundness. Hmm. But we can follow that off into the contamination or the corruption of, of following Jesus, and then God will abandon it or it won't be useful. Uh, you know, the, the, the ultimate state of the adherence and the believers, that's up, for, up to God to decide. But, um, but the warnings are the same. You know, our communities of faith, we need to be following Jesus. We need to be worshiping and honoring Jesus. We need to be loving him. And I think that this is the cure for our worries about our culture. See, if I'm following Jesus and, and I'm wondering, uh, should I do this practice? It's been made legal. Mm. And we won't talk about practices made <laughs> legal, okay, because we don't have five other hours here today. But, but for the mm. follower of Jesus, there's answers to those questions outside of, or let's say a preliminary to the law or the changing laws and the attempts of our culture to keep up with, with uh, what it considers to be acceptable and not acceptable. And that is the, the idea of following Jesus. There are certain things that are destructive to that practice. There are certain actions that we can take in this life that are not helpful, mm. they're not useful. And I can grab a younger believer aside, and not to pick on cannabis or anything, but I can say, <laughs> look, dude, you're going to need your mind. Get, don't go along with this law. And, and I don't need to worry about changing the law. You know, that, some frothing fanatic can go out there and change the law. I don't care. I'd, be, I'd applaud it or whatever. Mm. But, but to tell a person, this is not good for you. This will interfere. You're going to need that brain when you get to be my age. That brain better be sharp and alive. And, and if you want to start medicating it now and, 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 uh, and doing whatever else they haven't found is negative, uh, I, don't need, I don't need to worry about my culture around me. Uh, coming to a realization about something, nor with alcohol. You know, it's uh, prohibition uh, has been a it's been a long period of time where alcohol has been legal. But I don't need to hesitate to grab somebody by the collar in our community of faith and say, "Dude, stop drinking! You're drinking too much. It's going to destroy you." And and I don't, you know, the culture is irrelevant what they're doing. Mm. I mean, it affects me. It impacts me. You know, drunk driving might kill me. But in reality, I need to follow Jesus, and when I'm following Jesus, I'm okay. And if, if the rest of the culture wants to say, hey, who's okay here? Only the people that aren't doing cannabis are okay. Maybe we ought to reverse this. Or maybe the people who aren't drinking too much are the only ones doing okay. They'll pass laws, and they'll go, we're not allowing this anymore, because the only way you're going to be okay is to not do this. And again, you know, I'm speaking, uh, I'm simplifying things greatly, obviously, <laughs> But, but the point here is that when you have the foundation and the framework to follow Jesus, following him then, it, it becomes, uh, it, it, it filters into the consistency of the culture around you and ultimately the politics around you, but they all keep their own perspective. Your own mind then becomes that system two thinking of, mm -hmm. I'm going to be deliberative about following Jesus that's what I love about the small church is it's mm. not chaotic. Mm. Uh, there's not a million controversies at any given moment that you have to <laughs> sort through and go, hey, wait a minute. I thought we were the people of God. Why mm. do we have all this 
uh, collateral damage in people's lives, you know, mm. that are caused by our gathering and not cured by our gathering. Mm. Uh, so in the small church, you can keep your faith focused. You can be very deliberative about the teachings of Jesus. You can be a part of a community of faith that gives you objective feedback into your beliefs. And then you can have all the chaos you want in the rest of your life. You know, you can be a part of the Kiwanis Club. You could be in a chess club. <laughs> you could be a local politician. You can have all these other things that are chaotic and filled with massive movements of power and politics and whatever. But if your foundation is, is certain, if it's based on uh, a real um, uh, deliberative, logical, reasoned out, uh, and I believe spirit-led. See, I, I believe that, th that we think we're spirit-led and we're actually emotional. We actually are convinced of something that it's only a combination of the Holy Spirit convincing us and our reasoning and what System we want to believe. Yeah. And, and then we, it all fits in. And, right, right. And, uh, you know, but, but we can really see the work of the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit in our life deeply convinces us that, yeah, these are the teachings of Jesus. I don't want to complicate this. Mm. I don't want to contaminate this. I want to really be careful about this. And I want my life built on this. I want this as my foundation. And then I, God's going to use me in whatever way he wants to in my culture. And I'm going to have a lot of fuzzy thinking about culture and even fuzzier thinking about politics because I'm fearful and manipulated and all that stuff. But I'm not living my life based on any of that stuff. Mm. The foundation I'm getting uh, out of Jesus, what does it mean that a community of faith of believers is passing through time and space and times are getting real wacky? What does that mean? That means I keep my nose to the ground, my hand to the plow, and I keep my heart maturing and growing in Christ and make sure I'm bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And then I just try to process the rest of it. Keep the fears in line. Don't panic. Mm. Remember Jesus' teaching and, and uh, keep, keep uh, plowing forward, as they say. Mm. So this passage is a concise apocalypse. It's, it's as you say, it's the, it's the smaller version of what we get elaborated elsewhere. But what it does is it gives us a framework of what to be careful of getting mixed up in. It gives us a framework of emotionalism and, and agendas, or even, as you said, um, the kind of casual confidence of institutionalized faith that, that you could just assume up until the last moment, as they did with the temple or in Jerusalem, that, that God was on their side because they were a part of this established system that was unquestioned and, and wouldn't be, uh, it would never be toppled, that that this, this passage allows for all the chaos of life as we are experiencing it, even our own age right now, as they experienced it certainly in 70 AD, but also just in the book of Acts up until that moment, and kind of just keeps at bay us falling for maybe uh, things that are motivated by the very things Jesus warns us not to, yes. to fear. Yeah, we, we shouldn't run around saying God is in this place which I hear a lot. I hear people go to a, a mm. house of worship and go, God is in this place. Or a, a teaching that really uh, shakes them up and gets them thinking good things. God, God was there. What, what we need to keep focused on saying is that God is in Jesus. Mm. 
And whenever we stop saying God is in Jesus, whenever mm. we stop rejoicing in that, whenever right. we stop realizing our satisfaction and our need for God is found in that place, we've, we've ventured a little bit from a safe place. Mm. So even resting in, whether it's a small church, big church, um, the community of faith as a thing, um, we don't rest in that. We, we, we stand firm in Jesus. We stand yeah. firm in our faith in Jesus, um, listening to the words of Jesus, learning how to obey him. And as you say, bear that fruit, which, you know, it's always so shocking, but is only one of four hearts that seems to actually follow all the way through in the parable with producing a life of abundance uh, that, that shows the evidence of Jesus in that life. And, and there's so many other ways of almost having that or of hearing parts of what he said, but not all of what he said, or holding on to certain things, but maybe not that warning to, to flee at the right time or to not ever be bound up with certain things. Um, so that steady involvement and commitment to the words of Jesus, to obeying those things in a community, praying for one another, there's really just no replacement. Uh, even in times of chaos, there's no replacement for that ordinary walking with the way of Jesus with others together in that way. Is that yes, exactly. And if we could if we could really see that and stick to that, mm. we would we would understand the superior way that Jesus has with us. That when we when we let him show us the truth about ourselves and about him and set us free from things that are binding us up, we are informed by the truth and and it carries back into the things we want the most. We bring that truth back into our family life. Mm. We're able to serve our families in a way that's that's real, that's powerful, that's what God wants, that's redeeming in our heart. We're able to be uh, good workers in our uh, culture, society. We're able to do uh, all of the things that we want to do the most, but somebody doesn't have to tell us, oh, look, if you want to be effective and be a leader in our culture, you got to have a good family mm. or, you know, without bounding us to law, we're going to do things through what, what Jesus is giving us, which is life, the abundant life. And when we keep that foundation uh, set and growing and keep this way of life, mm. learning from Jesus and, and bearing fruit for Jesus, when we keep that primary, then, uh, then we truly uh, have something satisfying to our soul and serving God likewise in an effective way. And, and then we can also not be somber. We, I mean, I think there's like maybe some oversteers where we either get confused or caught up in euphoria about when that something might end or predictions and things like that or conferences or books or whatever. Um, but then on the other side, we don't have to be dour or heavy about everything. If we're actually just following the Lord, let's say for, for the sake of our families, we can trust that as he said to the disciples who were going to go through persecutions earlier, you don't have to worry about having the right words to say. You don't have to worry about whether or not you'll, you'll panic or be misled. If you're staying with me, you won't. You won't be misled. You won't panic in these moments. You won't be speechless when you need to have something to say. Uh, but we don't need to sort of, I don't know, overly prepare or be, a, you know, we're the only people who know. And so we have to, you know, there doesn't need to be this this heaviness or right. a fear or a, uh, maybe just that, that somber attitude of, oh, we... The only thing I would qualify that with yeah. is, is that we, we can't do it by bravado. Yeah. 
uh, I turn into Peter in a drop of a hat. You know, oh, Lord, I'll, I'll die for you. Yeah, I'll uh, <laughs> do this or that for you. And I really wouldn't. Yeah. But what gives me the quiet confidence is I can be excited when the Lord is really working in my life, when the Lord is really helping me through something simple, which just about every week he helps me through something I was afraid of mm. or is very simple in my life if I trust him and not fear. The fact that he is near, near now, the fact that he's here now gives me enough confidence to know that if things got really horrible, he would be there also. Mm. But I can't do it by my own bravado. I can't do it by saying, I can buck up and do this. I, I used to think that way. I, I had a, a secretary one time who had a Range Rover, and she was uh, diabetic, uh, very seriously diabetic, and she wasn't certain she was going to live a long time. So she told me that uh, if she died, she would leave the keys to her Range Rover for me because uh, of the, the uh, series Left Behind was going on at the time. Oh, wow. And she thought, sure, I would be okay oh, in the yeah. tribulation. The I could fight Rover. for Jesus, oh, you know. And, uh, tribulation force. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so no, that's not me, okay? <laughs> I, I could think that. I could make that up in my mind and right. make that connection. Right. But that's delusion. That, that's a delusion I could easily buy into mm. and take a long time growing out of. Mm. But, uh, but when I feel like the Holy Spirit is really showing me Scripture, and when I believed in it, it's, it's produced action in me that's God-like, fruit-like. Uh, not God-like, but you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, when, when that happens, I get a confidence in the Lord. I, I feel like okay, Lord, thank you for helping me through that, helping me, for, uh, helping me do the right thing, uh, doing something good. And, uh, and, and I feel that quiet confidence that I couldn't do what Jesus wants, but with him there with me, my relationship with him is strong enough to where I will be okay. Right. And I could make it through panicky times. Right, right. And he says, he promises us, right? He will be with us even to the end of the age. Yes. Pastor John Hallowell, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us understand these things a little bit better. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you for letting me talk. And thank you for listening to uh, this episode. I hope it uh, stirs some things. Hopefully it clarifies or helps you be grounded in some of these things. Even though there's a lot of confusion, even though there's a cottage industry, even though there's a lot of uh, misleading things out there, we don't want to look past this. There's a clear teachings that Jesus does give us. It's important to get some of these essential things out of it and to have a framework that we can build an honest life, a faithful life, a faithful community of faith, committed to Jesus, committed to his word, uh, living that ordinary discipleship day in and day out. We commend that to you. We always will, and uh, we are attempting to follow through with that ourselves. So thank you once again for joining us today, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and and that you will subscribe and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe. And your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well, think well, and love well. Godspeed. <laughs>